Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Thanks, Amy. Um, Looking forward to opening up Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'm going to pray for us uh, before we dive in. Let's pray together. Uh, Great Heavenly Father, we're so aware you are a good and gracious God. Every good gift comes from your hand. And yet so often we find ourselves not giving thanks to you, uh, not acknowledging you, the good giver. Uh, Lord, please forgive us. Help us and change us as we hear from your word this morning. Uh, Help us to see with greater clarity the Lord Jesus in in all his goodness and greatness and all his obedience and trust in you. Uh, Help us, Lord, to change, to live differently as a a result of living, as a result of hearing from your word uh, this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 8. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, uh, let me ask you this. How bad is a spoiled brat? You know the kid I'm talking about? Picture him in your mind. That's right. I said him. I said him. That's right. Um, I reckon there's there's only one thing worse than a spoiled brat. Two spoiled brats. Uh, no, I reckon it's seriously though. I reckon it's the the adult who's a spoiled brat. Yeah. Uh, how bad is that? The person who's entitled, arrogant, uh, narcissistic. Uh, no one wants their child to end up like that. No one wants to be that person, but it happens, doesn't it? It's possible. Have a listen to this. Uh, A few years ago, I was standing outside my daughter's school when a a four-wheel drive pulled up and the woman got out clutching a folder. She stood a few metres away from me, pulled out a mobile, tapped out a text message. A few moments later, a short, skinny boy in school uniform ran up to her. Hello, Simon. Here it is, darling the woman said, handing over the folder to the boy. The schoolboy, not more than 13 years of age, took one look at the folder and said loudly, that's the wrong one, you stupid cow. I needed my maths folder. Now I'm up Pooh Creek and it's all your fault. The woman looked close to tears and she stuttered, but Simon, I thought you asked me to bring your English folder. I did tell you to check your bag before you got in the car. I had to cancel an appointment to get it to you. Simon regarded his mother with an expression of utter contempt and said, you are just hopeless. No word of thanks. He simply turned on his heels and walked away. Now that's the beginning of a book. Uh, I don't know whether you've read it. This, This is the book, The Prince Buffhead. Uh, It's a book about raising teenage boys. I haven't read it. I don't know whether I recommend it or not. Um, The one I'm more interested in is the one about raising adolescent girls, which has another interesting title. Here it comes. Um, (laughs) Now, they're really, really provocative titles, yeah? Provocative books, presumably. They're they're actually intended to shock us. Um, And it kind of deals with that that whole tension that parents feel... Uh, now, if you're a parent, you'll get this, but if you're not a parent, think into what, you're, what you think your parents were trying to achieve, okay? Um, I reckon it's this, that you want your kids to uh, grow up that, that they feel loved and cared for, you want them to live happy lives, 
Yep. But you're also aware that there's a danger they could grow up as spoilt brats. They could grow up as entitled people, as arrogant, uh, as self-centred. And so how do you not raise the child that's entitled? How do you not be an entitled person yourself? Um, God's really concerned about those questions. They are really important questions. And God feels the tension uh, like a father to us, his people. Um, so that's, that takes us to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Open up in your Bibles, Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're in this series, How to Love God. Uh, I want you to have it in front of you. And hopefully you can already see the connections. What, who are God's people? Who is Israel? They are the chosen people, aren't they? They are incredibly privileged people. Uh, they are loved. Uh, God even calls this group of people his son, his beloved son. Uh, they enjoy a special privilege of calling God their heavenly father. Uh, what, what's, where are we at in Deuteronomy? They're about to enter the promised land. They're, they're about to enter, enter enormous blessing. And there's a danger as they enter that good land, they could become the spoilt brats, couldn't they? They could become the self-centred, entitled, arrogant people, the exact opposite of what God, in, God wants for them. And I, I want to say two things this morning to God impresses upon Israel, two things he impresses upon us today as his people. The first one is the value of discipline. Now, I don't know about you, but when you hear the word discipline, do you think negative? It's something negative. I think some of us think it's very negative. Um, I remember my dad's discipline. When my uh, sister started using lipstick, she'd put the lipstick on, she'd kiss the mirror. Uh, have you guys done this? They'd leave behind a kiss-shaped um, imprint on the, on the mirror. Uh, and that happened so regularly that my dad got frustrated uh, and one day he took my sister into the bathroom, squeegee in hand, and said, I, I just want you to know, uh, I want you to witness the effort that's involved in cleaning off this lipstick every time you kiss the mirror. So he took the squeegee, he, put it, he dipped it in the toilet bowl, and he started scrubbing off the, the lipstick on the mirror, and she never kissed the mirror again. Now... I actually made that story up. I, I stole that story. But can I tell you a story of, of a time when I was disciplined? Um, we had a year six teacher who was known for discipline. Really interesting, of all the teachers across 13 years, he was the, the strictest, he was the one who disciplined us as young boys. And, you know, even now, 25, 30 plus years on... Um, that's the teacher that we speak most of and lovingly and fondly. Uh, it was in the days of the cane. He used to put the cane in the corner of the room and that was enough to get your attention, right? But there was one occasion, uh, school sport was on. Uh, I cheated in a game. My teacher knew, uh, but there was that agonising uh, time lag between the end of the game and some point that I'd imagine where I thought, does he know what I know that I cheated at this game? And he did know and he did care. And he actually got me up in front of the class 
And he got me to confess what I'd done. And he got me to apologise to the whole class. Now, it was made worse because I was the school captain. Uh, He actually told me another point. He said, you have been the worst school captain that we've had. Uh, Sorry, this was at the end of the year. He said, you started the worst school captain we've had, but you've ended the best school captain we've had. So it all worked out all right. But there I was in front of, the, in front of my year six class. Um, I still remember it. Like, it's quite, it's quite a moment. Um, super valuable lesson on honesty, on integrity that I will never forget to this day. But here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, what is God doing? He's reminding his people Israel... They've been through a tough journey and God's been disciplining them. Have a look in verse 2. Verse 2, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness those 40 years to humble and to test you in you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. See, what's been happening, they've been wandering in the desert for 40 years um, here's a picture of a desert. We all know deserts are not particularly great places. Um, not a lot of food, not a lot of water. Pretty dangerous kind of place if you don't know what you're doing. Uh, but God has rescued them out of Egypt. Uh, he's been kind. He's been merciful. He's done it in a spectacular way. He's promised to get them to the promised land. But within days of stepping into the wilderness, they start to grumble. They start to complain. Um, you can read about it in the book of Numbers, but what are the questions there? What are they saying? They're saying, why has God done this? Does God hate us? It's not even does God hate us. It's God does hate us. We would have been better off without God. We would have been better off back in Egypt in slavery. God has led us out here to kill us. See the, the grumbling? It's like petulant, entitled teenagers, really quick to accuse God. Uh, quick to doubt God's goodness, like completely lose sight of God's promises. But what does God do? God in his fatherly wisdom, fatherly compassion. Look at verse 3. He humbled you, he caused you to hunger, and then he fed you with manna. Um, if you know the, the history, the, the manna is that kind of bread-like substance that miraculously appeared every night. Uh, in the mo- every morning, sorry, in the morning dew, they would eat it as their daily bread, as their, as what would provide for them for the for the next day. And verse three says, "He humbled you, he caused you to hunger, hunger, and he fed you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord." So, what what is God teaching them? He's he's providing for them. He's teaching them. You need to rely on me. You need to trust me. Uh, He's saying, I'm the father who supplies all all of your needs. It all comes from me. Uh, You need to trust me and my promises. I will get you to the promised land. You need to trust me, even in this difficult situation. And every morning, there was a reminder of God's goodness, God's provision in a tough, barren wilderness. I look at verse 5. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord God disciplines you. What do you reckon, uh, why does a father discipline a child? What, what is God doing? What, what are we even doing? 
Um, sometimes uh, dads punish their kids because they're frustrated or angry. Yeah, I can relate to that. That's, that's not good. That's not uh, discipline. That's not the discipline of a heavenly father. It's actually distortion of discipline. But if, if that's all you've experienced from your dad, that uh, like is harsh kind of crushing judgment that is that you thought is discipline, that is a million miles away. Uh, from what we're thinking, what we're thinking into this morning, with God as our loving heavenly Father, disciplining us. See, fatherhood and disciplining children is actually meant to be for their good. Uh, it's actually meant to seek the good of the child. Uh, sometimes it involves punishment, but have a look at what this passage says about discipline. Verse three, uh, we've already seen it's to teach them. It's actually to teach them something. But have a look down in verse 16. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well for you. So actually, discipline is about playing the long game. It's actually having the end goal in mind. Uh, what, what is the person I want to shape? It's the person who's self-controlled, who's thankful, respectful, Humble, uh, that's the goal I've got in mind. And that's what God is teaching Israel in the wilderness. I want to teach you that I want, to, I want you to be the people who trust me. I want you to be the people that obey me. I want you to be the people who thank me as your good God. And isn't, isn't that often the way we learn those hard lessons? Have you noticed this in the Christian life? If you've been a follower of Jesus for a while, is it not those hard moments where God has taught you to love him, to obey him, to give thanks to him. Um, I reckon COVID has taught us that, hasn't it? Uh, even, even for myself in such a small way, I got COVID at Easter, uh, didn't feel great for the six weeks afterwards, had that kind of 20%, 25% less energy. Uh, it was just a terrific reminder to me, Michael, your health, your strength, your energy comes from God. Give thanks to God for that. It's not your right, it's a gift. Uh, it may not always be there. God's given it to you now. In fact, one day it won't be there. But praise God for it. Have you noticed that some of the most godly, mature Christians are the ones who've suffered the most? It's actually through difficulty that God teaches us, disciplines us, but you know, if you know the rest of the Bible, Israel fail at this big time. They fail at this lesson big time. And, it, and it's just a, a window into the human heart, isn't it? That our human heart has a massive tendency to be ungrateful and boastful when things are going well and to be grumbling and complain when there's hard times. Israel is the son of God, but who is the son of God who completely trusts his heavenly father? Who is the son of God who always obeys, always gives thanks? It's not Israel, is it? Actually, we see him come 1,500 years later in Jesus. Uh, he's the son of God. He's the true Israelite. Uh, you, I think you see it at his baptism. Here's the quote at Jesus' baptism. This is my son, says the father. Whom I love, with him I am well pleased. 
And what happens next after Jesus' baptism? He actually heads into the wilderness. Uh, it's, a, it's a picture of there's the true Israelite going into the wilderness like Israel did. And what happens uh, for Jesus in the wilderness? Satan comes and tests him and tempts him. Uh, we heard it in the reading, didn't we? If you are the son of God, Satan says, tell these stones to become bread. And what does Jesus say? He says, no, no, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. There is the true, the obedient son of God. That even though he's hungry, even though he's tired, even though he's tempted, he trusts God's goodness. Even though he's weak, he patiently gives thanks and leans on God and his provision. There's a really interesting verse in Hebrews chapter 5, up on the screen here. Um, Son though he was, Jesus learnt obedience from what he suffered. It's one of those unusual verses, isn't it? Because you think Jesus learnt uh, obedience from what he suffered. Uh, He's not sinful. He's not being shaped to be more godly. He was always the perfect son of God. And yet he benefits from God's discipline, from his heavenly father's discipline. I think it's another one of those ones where it shows you that discipline is not primarily about judgment or punishment. It's actually about shaping, about godly instruction, isn't it? Uh, And Hebrews, the next verse says, once made perfect, Jesus became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So it's actually through Jesus' perfect obedience, through uh, his obedience, that we have opportunity to become people of God, uh, adopted as, uh, into God's family with God as our Heavenly Father. There's a, there's a moment just to pause, isn't it? Is, is that something you know? Are you on the journey? Are you thinking about that? Do you want to know God as your Heavenly Father? Um, it would be great to know that you're on that journey, great to help you on that journey, uh, to know truly, because of Jesus, God is your Heavenly Father. We'd love to help you with that. But if you do know God as your Father, it radically changes the way you experience tough times in life. Have a look at this verse in Hebrews 12. It says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. You've got to burn that in your brain. No discipline, verse 11, seems pleasant at the time, we know that, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. See, if you're a child of God, if you're a disciple of Jesus and you're going through a tough time at the moment, God, your Father, is using it to discipline you. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean he's using it to punish you, but he is using it to shape you, to build your character. See, because what is is God trying to do? What's the end goal? Trust him more, love him more, give thanks to him more, depend on him, rely on him. I reckon God wants us to trust him in this, even in painful and hard situations, particularly in painful and hard situations, God is using them for our good. That's what Romans 8.28 says, isn't it? Uh, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's where God's taking you. That's That's the trajectory. That's the end goal. Do you believe that? 
Do you, do you think that in this hard time, this difficulty, God is shaping you? Are you working with him on that? Because that massively transforms a difficult time, doesn't it? That has to completely change your view of a difficult time. It's not a roadblock. It's not God's lost control. It's not random. It's not that God doesn't care. It's that God knows. God has brought it. That it's actually a very, very good thing because it's going to change you. It's going to shape you. It's going to make you love God more, trust God more. Do you see it that way? There's, there's the first thing. Come back to, always back on Deuteronomy chapter 8. There's another concern there from God. Have a look in verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you'll be lacking nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. Doesn't that sound fantastic? That is so descriptive. That is so prosperous. That is so generous. That is so wealthy. What a place to be. Um, but here's, here's the problem. I've called it the danger of privilege. Here's the second thing. The danger that a parent feels. You remember? You'll provide everything. You want them to be loved. You want them to, to be cared for. And yet you don't want them to be self-centered, entitled, thankless, spoiled brats. And so there's the danger for the people of Israel as they enter this good, prosperous land. In fact, let me break it down for you. Three dangers. One is forgetfulness in verse 10. See, look at verse 10. When you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. There's the real danger. See, it's, it's so good, it would be very, very easy for you to forget the Lord your God when you get in there. It would be very easy for you to forget that, remember, you were once slaves in Egypt. Do you remember that? Do you remember how bad that was? Do you remember how hopeless that was? Do you remember that it was only God's goodness and kindness and mercy that you're actually out of that situation now? You will be tempted to forget that. You will forget God's fatherly care of you, that he's the one who brought you through the wilderness all those years, now into the promised land. You will forget that actually the land is a gift from God. It is God who owns it and you should give thanks to him. It's very strange, isn't it, that as human beings, here we are, we think that if you receive huge blessing from God, that should equate to huge blessing, uh, sorry, huge thankfulness to God, yeah? That uh, receiving a massive gift means you give thanks to the giver. You don't thank yourself, you don't thank the gift, but you actually thank the person who gave you the gift. Why is it that we don't get that when it comes to God? Um, I think I've said to this, this to you before, but uh, several years ago I was in Kenya teaching, teaching the Bible there to pastors. Um, as we got to know people in their community, uh, as they had this very vague idea of where I came from, the, the country of Australia, somewhere way on the other side of the globe, the one thing they knew about us is that you are incredibly wealthy. 
that you have a lot of riches, you have a lot of wealth, as much as you turn up and try and tone that down, and they know. And they, they, they know that you're wealthy. And here's the thing that they equate with that. Your country must thank God enormously. You must have a country full of people that praise God. How wonderful is that? Hang on a second. Step back a few, few moments. Uh, I had to convince them, no, no, we're actually a, a country that's forgotten God, forgotten the Lord our God. He has given us a massive amount of wealth and we've forgotten him. They were staggered by that. They could not believe that. It's a great reminder to us, isn't it, to thank God every day for everything you have. Uh, it was wonderful in our small group this week to actually pause at the end and pray and give thanks for the things that God's given us. It's a very, very uh, healthy habit to do as a, as a follower of Jesus. It is incredibly good. It pleases God and it is incredibly good for you to every day be thinking, what can I thank God for? Just keep getting in that habit of giving thanks to God. You know, um, secular psychologists now are saying this is good for your mental health. <laughs> the only problem is they don't have anyone to give thanks to God to. to. Just give thanks. Well, no, you know who gave it to you. You know God is your heavenly Father. Give thanks to Him. It's the one Thessalonians five sixteen. Rejoice always. It's, it's in all circumstances, difficult or not, just rejoice. Now, you need to think into what, what does rejoice mean. It doesn't necessarily mean happy. Pray continually, Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Well, there's, there's the first uh, danger. The second danger is arrogance. Ha- have a look at the first one was forgetfulness. The f- second one is arrogance. Verse 12 When you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine homes and settle down and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Or verse 17, you may say to yourself, this is staggering, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Isn't that the nature of it? That the wealthier you become, the more you're going to be prone to arrogance, to thinking that you've actually earned, your cleverness has done this, that you are self-made. Here's a little challenge for you. As you sit back and you think about all the things that you have, do you say, wow, isn't it awesome what God has given me? Haven't I got so much to thank God for? Or do you sit back and go, wow, look at what I have done. Look how great I am. Remember what Jesus said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. There's a serious, serious spiritual danger in being rich. Who are the rich? Who's Jesus talking about? He's talking about us. We're in that top 10, 5% of the, the world's richest. If you own a how, well, not even if you, know, if, you have, if you have a tap with running water in your house, you're in the top 10%. It's us. Uh, even if you're in housing commission, you are wealthy in world standards. And Jesus says we're in an incredibly dangerous situation of being arrogant, of actually missing out on the kingdom of God. Have you ever thought, 
Why is it that Jesus says it is so hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? It's because to enter the kingdom of God, you need to be humble. And wealth produces arrogance, not humility. That's why wealth is so dangerous. Uh, It's actually humility that gets you in the kingdom of God. I can't do this. I am poor. I am sinful. I need a saviour. God, help me. That's the cry of the poor, isn't it? Just, not just the spiritually poor, but also the, the materially poor. The prayer of the, uh, the materially wealthy is, I don't need you, God. I'm, I'm completely self-sufficient. I'm completely okay. You cannot enter the kingdom of God because you need God. You need a saviour. And Jesus says, remember the rich uh, man who said, I've, I've got all, all I need, I'm, I'm okay, I'm, I've got plenty, I've got the barns, I've got it all sorted. Uh, it's kind of like the Aussie retirement plan, isn't it? <laughs> it's what we all want to work towards. When I get to that age, I'll have enough. And Jesus crushes it. Jesus says, you're a fool. You haven't thought about the next step. You haven't thought about the kingdom of God. And you're going to miss out on it because you've only thought about this life. It's really worth thinking about how have you, um, how would you know whether you've held on too tightly to wealth? How would you know whether you have that same attitude or whether it's been changed? How would you know whether you've been genuinely transformed, that is convicted, that it's not just this life I'm living for, there is a life to come, that Jesus is building his church, that that. People are lost, they need to hear about Jesus. How would you know whether you've really, God's really changed you on that? I reckon a massive indicator is giving to the work of the gospel. Because when you give to the work of making disciples, when you're generous to other, other people, it, it says it's not about me. It's not even about this life. There's a whole other world, world and realm and church that God is building, another kingdom and eternity that I'm convinced on. Uh, it's 1 Timothy, you've got to read 1 Timothy 6. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. It's actually fundamental to being a follower of Jesus. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. And Paul says in verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world, so I'm commanding you, you're, and I'm commanding myself, not to be arrogant, that's our temptation, but to put our ho- not to put our hope in wealth, That's our temptation, which is so uncertain, but to put our hope in God who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. Command them, so let me command you, let me command myself to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, to be willing to share. There it is. Danger of forgetfulness, danger of arrogance. The last one I'll give you is uh, the danger of um, idolatry when you're in that privileged position you're prosperous there's a danger of idolatry look at uh, verse 19 uh, God warns them that you'll, you'll be forgetting the Lord your God and you'll be following other gods and you'll be worshipping and bowing down to them there's where it'll take you um, and we may not be tempted to, to bow down to little idols to stone idols but Uh, Remember what Paul says, greed is idolatry. When you actually take the good things that God's given you and you make, you say, that's what I'm living for. 
That's what I hunger for. That's what I love. And when you start to realize that's idolatry, you think we're swimming in a culture of idolatry, aren't we? We're swimming in a culture that says, I just want more and more and more. Uh, I, I live for these things. Um, and as a result, we're a nation that's actually forgotten about God. We've forgotten the giver. We've, become, we've grown arrogant and entitled. We've actually been gripped by greed and idolatry, haven't we? We can't let go. It's only Jesus that causes us to let go. And it's a, it's a fair question to ask uh, of ourselves. Do we love God or do we love the things that he gives us? Do we love God with all our heart, soul and mind or do we love the things he gives us? God wants us to love him. I mean, I think you'd be really unhappy with a friend who said, I only love you for the things you've got. <laughs> I only love you for the things that you give me. Why do you think God would be happy with that? God wants our hearts. He wants us to love him. So there it is. There's, let me summarize. Real value in discipline. God is disciplining us for our good. He did that for Israel. He's doing that for us. But real danger in privilege. Uh, the danger of forgetfulness. The danger of arrogance. And the danger of idolatry. Well, let me... Let me give you those three questions again as we address them this morning. Uh, do you know God is your heavenly father? Uh, God wants to enter a relationship with us. Uh, he wants us to have that relationship. We are the sons in the kingdom. He is our heavenly father who wants what's best for us. Have you started on that journey? Uh, I'd love to help you start on that journey. Let us know. Secondly, we, we had to think about what is it like to go through a tough time? Are you going through a tough time at the moment? Uh, will you trust your Heavenly Father that what he's doing in your life at this very moment is for your good? Uh, that God is actually disciplining you? He's not punishing you, but he's building you in character. He wants you to trust him. And lastly, uh, are you enjoying good times at the moment? Uh, there's an opportunity, things are going well, to give thanks to God, uh, to remember him, uh, to be generous with the good things that he's given us, uh, to worship and serve him alone and not be tempted to worship the things he's given us. So I'm going to pray as we can keep thinking about these things. Uh, let's, let's finish with prayer.